Welcome to, or welcome back to the Flowcast. This is the podcast for information and inspiration on your journey to finding your flow. My name's RJ, and I'm joined by my co-host, Telsey. And together we explore topics surrounding flow, as well as lead by example through our own passions and those of the guests that we interview. So let's dive right in. Hey everyone, just before we get started, big thanks as always to Flow Spa for making it possible for us to keep making this podcast. Flow Spa is Peterborough's float therapy and sports recovery center, providing float tanks, infrared sauna, contrast therapy, and the Normatec recovery system for deep relaxation and recovery and to help you find your flow. I talked about it last week, but the code Mm-hmm. has he's got this interesting meditation style that okay. he like explains throughout the book and it's on there's like places you can find it online too okay and it's like this six phase meditation where you know you practice mm-hmm. some gratitude compassion forgiveness kind of envisioning your future self practicing like imagining your perfect day Mm -hmm. and then he does this sort of blessing where whether it's fate or some sort of god whatever your religious or spiritual practices okay just to give you sort of like come full circle and give you this um this this sense of of i guess like empowerment towards whatever your your uh goals and and dreams and all that is um and so I've been doing that one because it's, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes just the like sit and think meditation doesn't work mm-hmm. when you got like a lot going on in your mind, you're just like, you're going to end up getting distracted. So having somebody or having something that's a little more, you know, formulated to guide you through is, is useful. Cause then you're, it feels, I guess, a little more productive at times too. Mm-hmm. But Sam Harris is much more of like the traditional kind of mindfulness practice okay and it's it's a really good app i uh it's it's depending on like your budget it's expensive because it's like 20 bucks a month but you can email them (laughs) but and so (laughs) yeah i I ended up doing that so i do have like a free year oh that's good um just because like i was paying it for it for the first few months and then i'm like well i'm not making money yet with the new business so i need to cut that out and then they just they're like okay we'll give you a free year hopefully you'll tell other people and if in a year's time when everything's going smoothly you'll sign up and continue on yeah but also the first i think the first 50 days when you sign up are free because there's like a 50 day introduction course okay and just doing that alone is it gives you all of the fundamentals to how to meditate i think it's 50 days that they give you for free might be a little bit different, but he's got, got like sort of that introduction course before you actually get access to his daily meditations or anything. Okay. You have to go through the first 50 days. Yeah. And it's good stuff. Um, no, I always, it, it always feels like, from what I hear anyways, everyone's like, oh, I, until I found TM, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't meditate. Right. And do you, what, do you know what the difference is between TM and the rest of them? Yeah. So TM is... Uh, what's transcendental transcendental right yeah yeah um you get a mantra okay and tm you essentially you are repeating a mantra in your head 
as a way to kind of guide your focus. So in in like Vipassana, is that or is that yoga? Uh, Vinyasa. Vinyasa. I, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. In in the traditional mindfulness meditation, the whole purpose is to focus on like a single point, right? Whether mm. it's it's um, imagining like a flame mm. or the breath is the typical cue to focus on. Mm. And so in that, that's kind of a little more the style of like Sam Harris's meditations. Okay. But TM is essentially like the whole purpose. You're supposed to have a mantra that you never share with somebody. Oh, <laughs> that's, really? That's part of it. Like you, you're given this mantra by somebody that's trained to like do TM mm. and you pay several thousand dollars to do the TM course over whatever <clears throat> the length of time is a few days or whatever it is. Yeah. And then that's your mantra for life that you're supposed to do for your meditations. And so it's supposed to be like a couple of syllables that essentially is meaningless so that there's no, thing to bring up in your mind okay. and um and you literally just repeat that the whole yeah oh, okay. as far as so that's what i understand i've never done a tm course but yeah. i've read that's how it works and uh okay. if so if you go online you can usually search up like tm uh, mantras mm -hmm. and i don't know how i think it's like based on the first letter of your name or there's just some weird like just simple system that you can pick a, a mantra and so i have one okay that, that's like just because i i was like okay so but i don't really ever do tm like i, I don't know okay. sometimes like it can help you get focused again if you're just repeating something but mm -hmm. um yeah, it's so that's how it works. Okay. And and so but but the Sam Harris one is good for understanding like the uh more like the scientific kind of practice of mindfulness mm -hmm. and uh and and finding like that that no thought or that state of discovering your your consciousness. It's cool stuff. Um definitely recommend going through at least some of his things, but there's also, you know, there's there's headspace mm -hmm. and calm and like all of them have good introductions. And then the other one that, you know, I've been recommending lately is the six phase. Cause, cause, um, vision's got this. So he, he created mind Valley, which mm -hmm. is like an online sort of personal development sort of system, like courses and stuff. And he's also got a meditation app called Omvana, mm -hmm. which is where you can find, the six phase meditation practice for free on there okay and so yeah like cool. that's it doesn't cost anything and it's a it's a useful one if you find that you get distracted by by things a lot yeah. in, in trying to do in trying to do normal meditations so yeah what about we haven't even introduced you or anything yet, but oh, we even started. We started recording. Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you said you were limited on time, so I figured we'd sweet. Yeah, we jump right into it. But uh, so Dan Groudon's back <laughs> on the show today. We had him a few months ago when him and Josh were goofing around and, and planning this <laughs> this fun trail race that that went over really well and looked like a lot of fun and. Uh, I know all the runners in the area thought it was was a good challenge, so mm -hmm. that's very cool. And I wanted to have you back on because I just <laughs> your story is uh, 
is definitely something that I think has a lot of inspiration behind it. Also because you just are so humble about it all, <laughs> even though you've accomplished many awesome things. So I wanted to get a little bit of the story behind the man today. And... <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, since we're, we're diving right into it, just, um, from, you know, you, you've been an athlete pretty much your whole life and mm -hmm. in, in a lot of sort of ice sports, um, hockey <laughs> and speed skating. And, and is it hockey that you started with, like as a young kid? Um, I was just always out moving. I think, yeah, probably hockey was the early sport I remember. Hockey and lacrosse when I lived in Milton. Mm -hmm. When I was in kindergarten. Um, but I like remember riding my bike early and skating at a really, really young age. Like two, three, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. As I progressed, or progressed, I played a lot of different sports as well, but hockey was the one that kind of, I was solidified in. Okay. And was that just like, that's where your passion lay the most or um, what was it about hockey that? Yeah, I think definitely when I was a kid, I really enjoyed it mm -hmm. and I always wanted to be a hockey player. As I got older, um, I wanted to try lots of different sports, which I did. I love track and field. Um, uh, cycling, mountain biking, like a whole pile of a good range. I played tennis, um, basketball, volleyball, just kind of like typical kid. But mm -hmm. hockey, I guess hockey is the one where I maybe showed the most promise. Okay. So I was that was kind of my track. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and like I think endurance also has it's just something that comes a little bit naturally to you. It's kind of like in in you right like it sounds like you sort of got this unlimited energy plus plus sort of like the the um the genetic makeup to be like an endurance athlete of some sort yeah it uh my parents will joke i wasn't allowed to have a nap when i was a kid <laughs> because i wouldn't go to bed and even if i didn't have a nap a lot of times i wouldn't go to sleep until like midnight oh yeah um i've just always had a lot of energy and i was thinking about this I don't know if I was talking to Josh about this recently but um it could be I could be up for two days have no sleep and then finally get to bed at four in the morning if you wake me up and you want to go do like an extreme exercise or an endurance event like I still somehow have the energy for it I just have yeah yeah <laughs> whatever it is who knows <laughs> yeah do you do you function on so you function really well on like a little energy then yeah, like I, I would never, I don't actually, this may sound really weird. Or I mean little sleep, I said little energy. But I meant... Yeah, well, same thing. Like I, there's never a time where I feel like I don't have enough energy to do anything. Cool. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a useful, that's a useful <laughs> trait to have for sure. Um, so, so kind of like you said, going down the, the hockey path, you actually, um, you were quite accomplished and what it was, you uh, played for what the Windsor Spitfires? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I played minor hockey in Peterborough and then got drafted to Windsor. Um, played a couple of years there. Uh, then asked for a trade and went to Belleville for a couple of years. And then I, at a, I'm trying to think whose camp it was. I think it was 
we have Florida's training camp. Uh, in an exhibition game, I wrecked my right shoulder, had surgery in the fall, and then played my half of my overage year after my surgery in Owen Sound. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was like kind of sort of that unfortunate <clears throat> circumstance that led you out of hockey because these injuries, I think first it was one arm and then the ne- the other shoulder sort of went after that, didn't it? Yeah, or? so the, and then, well, kind of like in playoffs and then into, um, well, I guess playoffs of that year was my left shoulder and then I had surgery in the spring of that year. So yeah, pro- in less than a year, I had both my shoulders operated on and they still, it didn't, <laughs> didn't do anything. No. <laughs> they still dislocated. Oh yeah. But so yeah, you kind of you got out of using your your upper body for for sports then, and and it led you to speed skating, right? Yep. Yeah. So after I played half a year in um, Johnstown, and then decided I wanted to go back to school, um, so I went to York, and I was there for basically two years, uh, and got a call to go uh, try it for the. At the time, it was on the podium speed skating, well, on the podium sports program mm-hmm. where they had crossover athletes. So I went out in uh, July of 2006 uh, for a week and tried speed skating. They said, yeah, come on out. So I moved out September 2006 to Calgary. Right. And so, so how long were you, how long did you do the speed skating for? So I started September 2006 and I guess in January of 2010 is when I stopped. Okay. So like so, four years. Yep. Um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you had like some of your teammates were like the Olympic athletes then, were they? Or? Yeah. So the first year when I moved out, um, it was like the on the podium group. So um, we had some other ex-hockey players. Uh, we also had some inline skaters that uh, moved across. Um, and then after that season was done, we got a call that they canceled the program (laughs) within our speed skating anyways. So, um, we were all kind of disbanded and I moved to a training group with, yeah, Claire Hughes, Christina Groves, Arna Donkers, uh, Shannon Rempel, all multiple, uh, Olympic medalists. So it was, it was fun. (laughs) Very cool. Um, how, how do you, uh, so there's, there's a lot of fascinating things about speed skating, but how do you go about training for that? Like year round, like I know you did a bunch of different things and you'd sort of travel all around to kind of yeah get the work in basically. So it's a, uh, it's a weird sport in the sense you may be like, so hockey, you have hockey practice, mm-hmm. you have games that's the majority of it you do do off ice training but it's not as much speed skating is maybe a third on the ice the rest is all off ice so um it's 50 basically 50 weeks of the year the two weeks off are active recovery it's uh two times a day six days a week like christmas day like it's it's a full-time uh gig and it is primarily road cycling so a lot of times it'd be like five hours in the morning riding your bike and then in the weight room for two to three hours in the afternoon. And that is like a big chunk of it. Oh, yeah. um, and also a lot of dry land training. So mimicking 
a stride, um, working on balance, leg strength, stuff like that. And then within that, within the year, usually two training camps just to build volume. So um, going to Northern California to ride your bike for 10 days and do weights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Arizona, like it, yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun. Cool. <laughs> Why did they, uh, what was it about, like, because I know you've, you've sort of biked all through sort of the, the San Fran area and stuff. Why do they pick those areas? Is it convenience from from Calgary or is it? Uh, yeah, close to Calgary. Um, so, we, yeah, we'd fly into San Fran and stay in Petaluma or Santa Rosa. And it's uh, really popular cycling communities there. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I guess in a sense, like people kind of like, there's a lot of back roads, a lot of mountainous regions, um, where you can kind of be left alone. You don't have to worry about traffic as much. Oh yeah. Warm weather, like in Calgary, we saw snow every single month of the year. So yeah, like, it, it's just a nice to get away, have like 10 days of nice weather where you can put in yeah, lots of time on the bike. I see. Yeah. And like, uh, the, the, uh, the weight training is it mostly like lower body based or what <laughs> is there much going for the upper body um i don't know about now but at the time yeah if you any upper body was like an accessory exercise that almost like you a, could a do it if you wanted right? to yeah exactly and so if you look at a traditional speed skater especially long trackers it's like bird body up top yeah. and then just big legs yeah <laughs> yeah so is that like what what is it about the cycling that that carries over so well to speed skating? Is it just kind of the same muscle groups that are being used? And- exactly. It um, and this is where that is the tra- traditional si- or speed skating training. Yeah. Weights, cycling, and on ice time. Um, and so yeah, it's uh, low impact using all the same muscles. You can get a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the main reason. But when I first started knowing the podium group, we trained completely different. There was a lot more, like we played badminton twice a week. We played a ba- our game called bandy, which is on ice, which is almost like field hockey, like really short sticks. So you're always staying low. Yep. And it, <clears throat> we had, I mean, we were new to it, so we were going to have an upward trajectory, but it was far exceeded what anyone thought was possible like we caught and passed so many people that had speed skated their whole lives and it was in that year that jeremy witherspoon had um he had been training that way as well because uh, he had been tra- he had traditionally trained as a normal speed skater and he kind of i don't know i wouldn't say fizzled late but he kind of plateaued for him um but when he came back, he we trained with him most of the time, and he trained like a traditional sprinter, like as in either a bobsleigh athlete or a sprinter on the track. Oh yeah. His first race back, he set a world record, like, and he was so much happier just for the variety as well. Yeah. Like, you could see a mindset change in him as he progressed leading up to the Olympics. And now this is my theory. Mm-hmm. Um, the team slowly integrated him back into traditional speed skating and you could see his mindset change and his production kind of plateaued again and he um, didn't have the results that he 
wanted or that people thought. Mm. Um, but it was it was weird. And I remember after the Olympics, Stu McMillian, uh, who's the CEO CEO of Altus down in uh, Phoenix or Scottsdale, um, he has a blog and he interviewed him. And he talked about um, when they were at the Olympics, there was 20, I think it was 25 staff and 18 skaters. And he said what he saw there was just too much like it and i also noticed like it, it seems like it takes when you give them everything it takes away a bit of that kind of mystique or like the drive to want it because they like anything they wanted at that point they could have not jeremy wasn't a person that would ask for stuff like that like uh-huh. he um was very almost like a lone wolf like he only took what he needed to do but i don't know there's too much bureaucracy and yeah i don't know it was just a weird thing but i definitely noticed the skaters that trained differently appeared to be happier and had better results it seems it's kind of like uh it might be a shift of the the sense of pressure right because Mm -hmm. most athletes are are driven from within Mm -hmm. they've from essentially from pursuing their flow state right like Mm -hmm. the thing that they're most passionate about when you get all those other people involved, then it starts like ex- externalizing the pressure, probably. Yeah. To the point that it's no longer as fun, or you can't get your mind completely into it because you're thinking about, oh, this person is expecting this of me, or mm-hmm. I have to, whatever it may be, I have to go to the psychologist after this to try to practice my mindset when it's already like dialed in. Yeah things like that probably yeah that's that's really interesting um kind of on like the the same same topic though like evolving after what was or actually what was it that ended speed skating for you was it just sort of uh so it was another well i don't know i guess you can call it an injury but a year and a half leading up to the olympic trials just before we went to Tucson, Arizona, and just skating laps at the oval, my, I guess you could call it drop foot syndrome, but when I would cross over, my right toe would go like this and then jam into the ice. Hmm. And so every time I cross over, I would do that. And the cross or the corners rebuild all your speed and you maintain it on the straights and build your speed in the corner. So I couldn't build any speed. So we went to training camp. Uh, when it got back, I think I took another week off ice and just did off ice, but it was still there. And I just, n- not training smart, I just continued to skate, continued to skate and develop that pattern and then couldn't get rid of it. Oh. I somehow still made the Olympic trials and skated those, but it was a year and a half of. <laughs> what is happening yeah this is awful (laughs) it's very interesting um so like i i have feeling that that there's probably a lot of sort of time spent and flow in things like skating and and probably hockey too because it's fast paced sort of like the 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 speed kind of contributes a lot to that that sensation right Mm -hmm. and it's um there's a challenge something maybe we can we can touch on that's really interesting too is there's actually a a lot of risk too the stakes are high in in speed skating because 
you're mm-hmm. skating on uh, you, like a single millimeter blade yep. that can like <laughs> basically cut through like cut somebody's leg off almost essentially basically yeah and um <laughs> and something that because I've, I've listened to a couple of podcasts with Apollo Ono on. Mm. Um, he was on The Drive, and he was on Finding Mastery. Mm. And uh, and a lot of speed skaters... So you wear, like, a Kevlar-lined suit, don't you? So short trackers do. Okay. I think that is, that is a regulation because they're in such close quarters. With other, um, with other skaters. Right? Yeah, and that's basically in... It's a 111-meter track, I think. Sorry. If anyone is a short track speed skater, that's wrong. Um, but it's basically inside a hockey rink. Oh, yeah. um, and there's six of them and they bump. Long trackers, some long trackers do wear some portions of Kevlar. But because it's basically on the same size as a running track and you're not technically ever, unless you're crossing on the back stretch, you're not technically ever coming in contact with someone. You just don't wear them because they get too hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, I heard like you know Apollo would cut it out of his suits. Okay. Because it was the chafing or the lack of mobility. Yeah. In in the different areas, because you know it's like sort of in the crotch to like protect the femoral artery from from getting yeah. sliced, <laughs> and he would you know cut it out or whatever of his suits, and a lot of skaters did the same things I believe, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the blades are are super interesting, right? They're. Yep. It kind of like I, I still can't wrap my head around it. And, and you said that every skater kind of like cust like sharpens their own blades typically, and yep. and does all the work on their own blades, right? Yeah. So if you picture like just going to get your skate sharpened at a store, they put it in a machine, or and then you just run it across the stone, and but a speed skate, you have to flip them upside down, and they're in a jig. And you have your own set of sharpening stones. And then so you literally back and forth, back and forth, other way, other way. And then you gradually get to um, a finer stone, finer stone until it is a mirror. You can actually see your face on the bottom in that little millimeter strip. Um, And so it's a complete 90 degree corner, which also makes the edge incredibly sharp. Uh Um, But... People also like different rockers and radius in the blade. So if you were to put the blade on a flat table, not the whole blade is touching. Um, there's only a small portion in the middle that is. And it's also curved. Some people like a really um, tight radius. So it's curved the same radius as the corner or tighter. So that when they um, turn over and lean into the corner, the whole blade is on the ice and it is similar to the radius mm. and that's where you get your power or some people like less so there's a little bit maybe less grip in the corner but yeah the theory is so when you're on the straights you maintain the momentum only on that tiny little spot so there's less friction mm. and then in the corners you get a lot of grip and you can use that whole blade uh, so you like if you tried to turn the other way yeah it would be it's really hard because the blades are curved the opposite way you're trying to go right so i didn't really realize that you always go the same direction yes <laughs> does that develop a lot of like um yeah that's i i think that's one of the problems so at the time on the canadian team anyways i was the only one that kind of had was having these problems with like my back and hip and stuff mm-hmm. but after i retired there was three other 
friends of mine that had to retire for basically the same thing. Oh, okay. Um, and that, I think that was my biggest problem. I wasn't used to it coming from so many different sports to being so specialized and only doing one thing that it was, it just messed me up because I'm used to having more symmetry, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's super interesting. I'm sure, you know, with all sports though, at the top level, it's not a, a game of, of balance a lot of the balance goes out the window and it's like such focus and dialed in performance but um like uh, the 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 flow of it i think is something that is really interesting i'm curious does that you does that resonate with you oh 100 percent. i well i guess i would first maybe notice it in hockey yeah there are times when like you're playing a game i literally don't hear anything I don't know if there's a crowd and everything. Yeah, it just seems to slow down. Yeah, and I, I've had multiple like games like that throughout my life that you just, it just happens. <laughs> you don't know what happens, but yeah, it, it goes well. Yeah, absolutely. And then that was one thing at one point that I had achieved. They call it easy speed in speed skating. Oh, okay. So it's hard to tell on TV, but if you see someone like Jeremy Weatherspoon skating. 500 meter race so the shortest fastest race and you see him going around it looks like he's not trying and you want to yell at him like what are you doing yet it's he's the fastest skater in the world and it's just that perfect balance of pure power it, they well the dutch call it he's he was like a ballerina on ice like pure power but grace and it is just so relaxed and you can feel yourself going around the oval and it's you barely even touch the ice and you can you're just flying and same thing everything you can't hear anything you can't see anything it's just this like i right now i can i can smell it i can feel it it's yeah it's Absol- a good feeling absolutely <laughs> yeah it's something that um that's super awesome that i i think i mean most athletes can recognize it in in some form or another i think one of the the powerful things or the neat things about some of those endurance sports is you get more time in that zone because mm-hmm. like with strongman it's it's a max of like 60 seconds at a time mm-hmm. and i don't so that would be for what's sort of the length of time of some of those uh so 500 meters would be 500 meter like, like 30 35 seconds yeah. like world records 33.9 but that guy we won't go on. <laughs> uh, uh, then thousand meter, which is like one ten is world record. Okay. Fifteen hundreds one forty. Oh no, one thirty nine something now. Uh, and then it goes for men to five k. Uh, world record is six oh three. Hmm. And then to ten uh, k, which is twelve thirty something for world record. Do you think? If now those time frames are kind of aligning do you think the flow is as prevalent in like the 5 and 10k oh big time yeah you can you can see it okay they're yeah it's like they're in another the, world for the entire duration of the yeah cool that's that's cool it's um that's that's what i'm thinking of more is like the the extra length of time i don't know there, there's something special about that that's quite appealing right because mm-hmm. uh it's not it's not something that's sustainable in a lot of power sports mm-hmm. it's a different it's a different thing but it all comes down to having that 
all that practice that makes it automatic for you that you're then doing exactly like what your body's programmed itself to do yeah and to be world class um kind of you know steering from that like it's it's obviously like you said going back to that sensation what um do you do you long for that feeling and or and like what do you do now to kind of like try to get it back um i don't know if i would necessarily maybe i just don't think about it because i know i can achieve it it's not like um i'd say i do get it at least once a year um with uh, a good friend of mine dustin we do the storm the trent adventure race every year and so that's anywhere from like four to almost six hours, depending on the course. Um, but there are large chunks in there where, yeah, like I'm completely in, in a different world than, yeah, <laughs> like a, an hour at a time yeah. for on the bike or for running through the woods trying to find something. Even if we're looking in a map and trying to find something, it's like everything else just checks out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. But as far as like trying to, achieve it like I don't yeah I don't go out of my way to do it I would definitely like to do more stuff and do more endurance stuff mm-hmm. I just haven't prioritized that I guess <laughs> no that's that's totally fine um it's interesting because I think like that's that's a good example you kind of get like the uh like the the dose of it even on a yearly basis and I'm it's kind of the it's the same thing with um there's a difference when it's i i definitely think there's a difference if it's if you're an athlete and it's in like sports performance of some sort that's kind of like that's like the the pinnacle of it Mm -hmm. um i'm sure you know it would be the same thing if you're a musician and it's like that performance on stage is the same thing like you'd you'd probably crave to get it you know on a semi-annual basis or whatever Mm -hmm and and so yeah you start to feel that calling when it's the the season kicks in or whatever that it's Mm -hmm. that time of year again and it is um it's it's very like draining as well right it's it's this it's something that you do need to sort of recharge to get back to um that sort of top level flow and not just kind of like the the daily or or whatever you can kind of do on a daily basis to find sort of peace and mindfulness and and meaning and all that but um no that's super interesting i was curious to to know like if that was something that for an athlete you know at the top level it sort of longs for seeks in some way um after the sport after like retirement and stuff um but also you know you've I think just to be respectful of time and not like go overboard. Oh, I still got We're still good. Probably till about 8.50. Okay. I have to leave here. Yeah. Um, but I think like if you want to talk about it, like you're, um, well, actually there's two things. So you're one of the most like positive, always cheerful people. <laughs> and no matter who I talk to, they, they say the same thing about you. And is that something that, that comes naturally? You know, it's, it's the start of February and even, you know, throughout January, we've been talking about this topic quite a bit because people sort of struggle through the gloomier months and, and, um, are, what are the things that you do to like 
maintain positivity or optimism or does it just completely come naturally um is it something that you've learned over time i mean you've got you've got experience to to sort of share i think i think i'd say for the most part it comes naturally um i think i i've always been yeah i guess just cheerful and i like to see people smile have like people around me happy so um and i think it goes back to the energy thing because a lot of times if people are down in energy like maybe their their mood will shift but i think having that energy doesn't allow me to get to not to say i don't have my down moments but doesn't allow me to get to a place where i do get too grumpy Mm. and i just like to have fun i guess yeah (laughs) like i most people who know me, I'm weird and quirky and do strange things. Like I just showed you a picture of a special haircut that I gave myself, which I routinely do with these weird things. But yeah, yeah, I I think I, I've always been, yeah, just kind of happy per se. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's not something that like, but I, the energy point is actually really useful, whether it's a, uh, like actually it's kind of timely because the the video that i'm going to put out this week is about getting outside you know mm. it's um not everybody wants to go outside because it's february and it's cold and and a lot of the days have been gray but just that that movement is really powerful stuff and that's mm. one of the things that that was one of the big takeaways that i learned from from the tony robbins event in back in october too that stuck with me was the uh just actually feeling the difference when you know he you we've all seen it like he gets everybody up and jumping up and down and stuff and mm. and it does change your your the state of physiology change does change your focus does change your your mental state and it's really powerful um is is there what's sort of and i know you mentioned this kind of last time on the podcast that you like work out once a month but like you're you must be you are physically active all the time too because mm. you've got like your your um contractor business and stuff mm. um does that satisfy like your your need for movement and stuff or what else do you do no regularly? not even close <laughs> i think i was as you were talking i was just thinking i wonder if it part of it is it doesn't matter what i do i always kind of make a little competition with myself about it okay and I always like I have that kind of inner child still in a way. <laughs> like if I see a fence, like oh, I can jump over that fence, and then I'll go jump over the fence. Or if I'm carrying lumber, like hmm, let's see if I can carry four sheets of plywood. And so, in ways like that, I kind of push myself. And I think that even if I don't like, even if I were to try to carry like eight sheets of plywood, I don't get angry at myself that I can't i just laugh like oh why did you try to do that that was silly (laughs) and i think i have a weird inner dialogue like that that i can laugh at myself and i don't in a way don't take it too seriously sure um and then there's something yeah i think in anything i do like even with sawyer or teddy at home like i'll sometimes carry Sawyer around like I'm a mother gorilla and I have her like that and I'm like doing a gorilla crawl around the house and she laughs her head off and uh-huh. I think it's fun and it's a good little workout so. 
that's uh it's where does that come from like the uh the drive to just always challenge yourself i don't know i've always had it my parents said like it didn't matter what it was like i always tried to be the best at it okay and yeah and, but uh, i've i've always felt that even so like if i was going out and playing hockey with some uh, people that didn't play hockey i always got frustrated at the people that were better that acted like jerks and didn't pass the puck or were trying to take the puck off yeah so i feel like i i know the balance between when to apply it and when not like mm. when yep. to have fun with it um yep. and so like i always enjoyed like seeing those other people kind of excel and helping them maybe they never scored a goal before stuff like that um so I think for the most part, I've always been in competition with myself. Um, and I think in the times when I do let it get external and maybe trying to compete with someone else is when I let it. That's maybe the times actually when I get down. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, not that ramble made any sense. No, but... <laughs> I, I think it did. You know, it made me think of um, like we've challenged each other with the ski erg and with the, mm. the rowing machine and stuff like that. And it's like it's it's a back and forth kind of of like fun challenge to to do better right because mm. we're also in some ways competing like concept two has the like the world leaderboard so you mm. kind of get to see where you you're ranking against everybody else as well and uh but but yeah you it's like you got to feel satisfied that when what is it in november whenever they do the uh the thousand the hundred meter world mm. challenge or whatever it is and um you you've got to still feel some sense of accomplishment that you're top 50 in the world at this <laughs> this event um and you know yeah we're, we're back and forth by like 0.1 seconds <laughs> it's hilarious <laughs> well and that's one thing i love especially with you because you don't, well, not that we're like super polar opposites, but like our cadence on the skier, like how tall you are, how much power, like just the difference. But we literally end up so close with every event. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, no, and that, that just goes to show that I don't know, everyone's different in their own physiology and what yeah. works for them. And, yeah. and I think that's, that's one actually now to go back to the speed skating. And maybe a lot of things, people try to peg people into this is the way it has to be. Um, like someone could say, oh, you know, RJ's doing the correct form. You have to go over and that's how you have to do the skier. You're like, well, no, like we're different. Like we have different limb lengths and yeah. different power factors at different regions, like in the pole. Like this works for me, that works for him. And that was kind of one of the frustrating things with speed skating is a lot of the traditional coaches were like, no, this is the form you have to skate. And like, well, if you look at all the best skaters in the world, yeah. Okay. Their ankle and knee angles are similar. Everything else is different. Mm. So you don't have to like, yeah, it's, it's also, it's like, um, we, we would watch that big Phil guy yeah. <laughs> that has the world records in, in the, the rower. And I think the skier, or he's got some of the records mm. and trying to like mimic his movements. And it was, it wasn't really working too well, yeah. but also like Eddie Hall had the hundred meter. Eddie Hall was world's strongest man in 2018, I think. Mm. Um, and he 
he used like all upper body and had the hundred meter world. I think he might still have, unless Phil took over it. But okay. Eddie's got one of the fastest times ever for the hundred meters on the the ski erg. Mm-hmm. But he it was all upper body. Like there was no movement in his lower body to like get that drive. Exactly. Just because he's got like such strong, <laughs> strong <laughs> a bit of a beast. <laughs> yeah, strong lats and triceps for that. Um, I guess the one the one other thing that if you want to touch on it is. I feel like you've, um, you know, things went from being sort of professional athlete, like top performing athlete, into this awesome family man and <laughs> um, and developing like this new personal mission, I feel a lot with uh, with Sawyer. And do you want to like kind of share, share like spread the awareness on on what kind of like the mission that is going on with with that? Sure. Yeah. It. Uh... I like I always wanted to have kids um, and I've said this before it may sound really weird but if anyone to, were ever to have a special needs kid I always thought like I'd be the one to have it oh yeah um, and so we have Sawyer she will be three March 13th and she has Angelman syndrome so it's a rare neurogenetic disorder where she is missing the UBE3A um, gene on her maternal side so we both have like everyone has the two sure uh, she has a deletion in the maternal side and it's silent in the paternal side um, it's always usually silent in the uh, paternal side and then you get it from the mother and that's the functioning one so she has a deletion so that causes um, she has to take uh, clobazam seizures um, she can't speak. She'll have to communicate through like a, like an iPad or like a assistive talking device. Um, lots of physiotherapy. Like she kind of army crawls right now, uh, working on building her upper body strength so she can actually crawl. Yep. Um, but yeah, so one of the great things about it, and we were talking about this last night, um, is with Angelman syndrome, they're usually always like cheery and happy. Yeah. Um, and she's always got a smile on her face and giggling. And so that makes things a little bit, I guess, easier in a way. Like it, it would probably be really draining if, um, she would get really, really frustrated and angry if she couldn't communicate very well. Uh, but she's usually (laughs) always so cheery. Um, they also have sleep disorders. Uh, so they don't tend to need as much sleep Oh, as well. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, it, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me that much. Like, sure. I'll get a little bit tired, but I can, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of actually, so with Angelman syndrome, because they know what exactly, exactly what it is, there's either mutation, deletion, um, and I think there's one more, uh, or a silent copy as well. Um, it's not like they're trying to figure out, oh, what it is. It's like, it is this gene, this is what it is. Yep. So this year alone, there's right now, there's been four or five trials uh, that have been announced. Um, everything from uh, a lumbar puncture of an oglionucleotide antisense. Mm-hmm. So it, is basically a serum that they inject into the lumbar, goes up, crosses the uh, blood-brain barrier, and will turn on, I believe, the silent gene. 
Um, there's a few one that will end up being just like a like a drink that they drink, and they'd have to take that for the rest of their life, and that would um, reverse the effects of uh, not the deletion, probably turning on a silent gene as well. Hmm. Um, the one that I'm uh, most hopeful for is uh, at a UC Davis in California. It's a stem cell uh, treatment, and it's a one and done approach. So mm -hmm. they will um, genetically modify her stem cells so that uh, it corrects the deletion, and she would get one injection, and that would be it, which is crazy to think. Yeah. Um, and it's not in the sense I think but sometimes where like I she's Sawyer like I don't there's nothing wrong with her to me um, she's our little sweetheart and she it's not like she is any less but to have her to be able to tell us what she wants or communicate um, to have like meaningful friendships with people like that that's what you want for your kids so yeah. if there's a way that we can help that. Um, that's what we're doing. So FAST, Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics, is the organization that is spearheading all this. And it was yep. started by um, parents. Um, and they are aggressive. They started their own pharmaceutical company. Like, this is all hands on deck. All money goes to research. We're going to cure this thing. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's really promising times. It's like, it's, it's a good time to have a kid with Angelman Syndrome, I guess. Like, it uh, a lot of really awesome science and really good people working towards a cure. Yeah, very promising. And you guys had a really amazing um, golf tournament fundraiser last year that yeah that I think um, I think it brought like a lot more awareness into at least this this region and uh, mm -hmm. and like our community because a lot of people you know have never heard of Angelman syndrome. It's not. It's not super common as far as I understand. And, you know, there's always, I think it's, um, shoot, now I'm forgetting his name. There's like one celebrity that's... Oh, Colin Farrell. Yes, yeah. Colin Farrell. So like, there's, it's not like there's a lot of that sort of high publicity either around it. But um, yeah, hopefully, like from what, I, what I've seen you, you know, sharing and stuff with hopefully that those treatments become very promising and, and can mm. really help and, and make a difference too. Um, so I'll, there's like an, there's always like an ongoing, like you can donate to fast or whatever, right? Yeah, so, exactly. It's yeah. either cureangelman.ca is the Canadian and then cureangelman.org is the American, but it all goes to the same, Okay. same thing. And then February 15th is international angelman day and the clock downtown is going to be lit up. Oh, um, Honor that. Good thing we got yeah. this this um, <laughs> conversation because this goes out next Monday, which is like just before that, pretty okay. much, right? Yeah, that would be next Saturday. Tenth uh, is Monday. Yeah, yeah. awesome. I'll uh, definitely that works out good time wise for for being able to share this. Then this isn't live. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't I prefer not to do it live just in case somebody like doesn't want the video version or whatever and. Or whatever, whatever we, have we haven't had to make any edits, but you know, if if by any chance somebody I don't know got really mad and stormed off <laughs> set or something, we we could do something like that. Um, 
yeah i think we're we're just about out of time being respectful because you got to get back to back to work and back to the world is there anything else you want to talk about what are you reading right now um i'm slowly if i don't fall asleep uh putting one of the kids to bed i'm slowly working through quiet by susan kane oh yeah um and i have lots more that i have started but i just that's the one i've been going back to did you get to the lemon juice thing yet because yes yes i did because you when i told you about that you found it super interesting because mm. as a kid you weren't allowed to have orange juice because it was too stimulating or something for you i would like yeah i, I wasn't allowed to have orange juice especially before hockey because i would go crazy <laughs> and we'd get suspended from games <laughs> yeah it's it's an interesting link there because i think that you'd probably consider yourself more introverted right yeah 100%. you tend to get you like the quiet to sort of recharge your batteries and that whole like hyper stimulation thing just lines up exactly with like what you told me about the the orange juice and so it was really really interesting to find that connection but yeah, yeah that's a definitely a good book to check out for I, we've we've talked about it several times on the podcast because it's uh yeah with with doing the introvert episode and I also it was one of my favorite books from last year that I finally got around to reading so mm. it's definitely a good one for I'd say pretty much anybody to read right because yeah either as an introvert learning like things that you can improve like how to how to not feel like. Be, yeah it's the sort of the obstacle of being in a sort of quote-unquote extroverted world yeah or as an extrovert looking to those friends family that tend to want to like have solitude or whatever to recharge like understanding that stuff's important too or even as a boss or a leader or whatever oh for sure yeah. knowing knowing the those characteristics to help the people that are on your team mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Dan. Oh, thank I think you. That was that was fun, and I've I've been looking forward to getting you on again to talk more about yeah, just kind of the 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 background story and stuff. <laughs> it's super interesting. So oh. yes, thank you for thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Stevie. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Flowcast. Take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube for the video version and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to connect the podcast to those who will find value in it. Hit the share button and send this episode to a friend or two. And a big thanks as always to Flow Spa for making it possible for us to keep making this podcast. Flow Spa is Peterborough's float therapy and sports recovery center dedicated to providing the ultimate relaxation experience. Whether you need physical relief from pain or a deep state of mental relaxation and calm, or even the best sports recovery methods to help you recover from your training, Flow Spa is where you can find your flow.